also known Jeez. as Bumpkin. Know, he is responsible for the for the airgasm. Yeah. Inside. Inside. Merry Christmas. He he's a gambler. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Sugar and Dread podcast. First name Sugar. Second name Dread. Yes, yes. That's it. That's it. it. We are back and it's still, you know what, winter season. And this is, you know what, a special, a special cold, cold, cold. Um, Yo, it's Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. um, So... Happy Happy Christmas Eve, isn't it? It's the day before Christmas and them things there. And so we're giving you a special podcast here today. Um, yeah, Boris and Deman tried to cancel Christmas, isn't it? And we were like, come on now. Isn't come it? on now. Let's behave ourselves. Let's behave ourselves. Exactly. Um, it's a little bit mad. Everything's a bit mad in the UK here right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've still got a podcast for you. Uh, we've got two amazing special guests. Uh, we have... Yeah, Clodagh Beresford Dunn and Ron Ron R. A. Villanueva. That's it. Um, that's it. That's it. Yeah, man. And they're gonna be doing poems and top fives and it's wholesome and it's lit. And we are going to get into it. Um but Gabriel. Yes. How you doing, huh? Me. I'm good. I'm good. I'm well. I am I'm blessed. Um yeah. Yeah, no complaints, isn't it? Apart from this, was this year gone? But who's not saying that? Um, but yeah, I'm I'm cool. I'm a, I'm 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 all right. I'm all right. How are you, man? Me, I have complaints. Matty. I I have, I have complaints. Matty, um, go forth. Go go through. Go through. I I I I have complaints on behalf of the United Kingdom at incompetency. My Fam. complaint being incompetent i think i think like many people i Mm. could have dealt with um the restrictions that are in place for this christmas period i think like many people i can hack it i'm Mm. okay with that Mm -hmm. what i do like and what many people do not appreciate is the dream selling is the flip-flopping is the hokey cokey in and out make it all about all of that nonsense you know what i mean but yeah, so I have complaints. So I'm annoyed. Yeah. I'm annoyed. Um, but I'm also realizing that I, uh, I live with um my family, and so, um, yeah. In so much as I am annoyed, um, I have the privilege of being annoyed because I don't have to make like, uh, yeah, like certain people have much more difficult Christmases. Um, coming up and without family and whatever and yeah. there are just people who regardless of the lockdown <clears throat> were like haha banter mm-hmm. yeah my christmas was going to be terrible whether we were in or out of lockdown um or lonely or any of those things and mm-hmm. so um yeah so in all of that i think um it's a bit mad it still has me kind of being thankful for my blessings and i think just being a bit more uh considerate of yeah. of just these times of years and and stuff like that um but that's not why we are releasing this podcast to bring everybody's mood down <laughs> on christmas day that is not the plan the plan is um to bring everybody's mood up exactly. and how we are going to do that mm-hmm. is we are going to get cracking um our first our first person that we're going to go with mm-hmm. is is ron yeah. Um, so Ron is going to give us his top five. Uh, Ron is a bad boy poet, and yeah, let's 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 go. R. A. Villanueva. Yeah. Okay, so it's late here. It's almost three a.m. Uh, in Brooklyn. I'm recording this by the light of our Christmas tree. Um, after a snowstorm, 
And yes, I may have been overthinking my answers to this question for the past couple of days, but let's go, let's go. These are the top five game consoles, I think. I think number five is the original NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System, the 8-bit, right? So the thing about it is I grew up with this system. It's the up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start, cheat code. It's uh, the end of Metroid with the reveal of um, Samus being a woman. It's memorizing passcodes and Mega Man. It's all of that, all those stories, those first kinds of experiences with being a gamer, playing in my basement while my parents were uh, playing Mahjong with all my aunts and uncles and like just sitting there screaming as we beat games. So I think NES is like that first essential memory. After that, I think, let's go up a generation. Uh, I think they go together, like Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. <laughs> I can't even say them without like having the cadence of, uh, of Biggie. But that generation was, was a classic, right? Everything from uh, Sonic to F-Zero and uh, kind of watching all the graphics kind of spin and the way in which your mind kind of had to had to catch up to the things you were seeing i also think about and i know i'm 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 rambling on there was this this concept of parallax scrolling in on sega genesis where in sonic the background and the foreground would move at different speeds i think i haven't stopped thinking about that like how we understand the world through uh the things that we see or perceive. I, I, keep, I keep using parallax scrolling when I talk about poems. And so I think the vocabulary of the uh, SNES Genesis generation, um, SNES had mode seven, right? That kind of like weird spinning and pilot wings. I use that as I think about poems and crafting poems and, and, and building poems and designing poems. Uh, number three? Hmm. All right, let's 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 do the original PlayStation, PlayStation One, which was just PlayStation back then. And I think the reason that consoles jumps out at me is the games, of course. Are the games, of course, but also the fact that that was the first system that I bought with my own money. I had a, I had saved up at my university job, um, and I was working in this uh, tennis. Uh, at these tennis courts and I saved up money and I bought my own PS1 and then I promptly proceeded to hack it <laughs> with a bunch of my friends and we had all bootleg games. We never paid for a game. I shouldn't be admitting that maybe. Um, but yeah, that, that, that PS1, so many good memories, so many like all-nighters uh, in university, uh, staying up and, and, and playing Puzzle Fighter and Street Fighter. It's a classic. Or I think we're at number two. All right, so I'm, what I'm going to do is, I think these last two are actually really linked. So number two game console for me is the PS4. And when we moved to London, I, didn't, I left my Xbox here in Brooklyn. We moved to London, and uh, I had new... I didn't know anybody, and we started kind of meeting people, and uh, I started teaching, and everything kind of opened up and bloomed, and once we started feeling like London was home, one of the first things I did was walk over to John Lewis, and they had a holiday deal where the PS4 was bundled with Star Wars Battlefront. And that was also when um, Xavier, my son, was, was, was born. And so I, my link to the PS4 is, all, uh, is, is being up late, late, late at night, feeding him and playing Star Wars uh, with him on my shoulder. <laughs> and so I'll never forget it, like being there in London and taking care of my, my first kid and playing games and, and syncing up with other people here in the States. Um, I think to my friendship with Kava was, was also solidified through PS4. 
We talked a lot about games. Um, I wrote letters back and forth about the games that we were playing. So I think PS4 has a, has a looms large in my memory and uh, is kind of dear to my heart. And I think right now, if I were to answer you about what the number one game console is, it's not just about quality of games. It's, it's really about memories. So right now, the Nintendo Switch is occupying this core space in my universe because Xavier's playing it now. Like, it's kind of his system. Uh, he carries it around. He plays a lot of uh, Animal Crossing. And in quarantine, during this pandemic, he has been playing that game for months now. And it's amazing to watch his brain reconfigure itself to understand all the concepts that are being introduced uh, for good and for ill. Everything from like how to express yourself individually, what are the things that you collect. He knows how to read menus now. He can do basic math because of managing uh, his, his, his bells. Uh, and, and even learning about animals, how they're, how they're categorized, taxonomy is happening through that game. And so I think for me, the number one system is, 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 is Switch, simply because I'm watching my son not only become a gamer, but also become a unique creative person. That's so wholesome, man. Isn't it? That I was I was just like his favorite game console is the one that he's watching his son play. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, yes. Uh, oh boy. And and if if family vibes are your thing, um, then, then let's oh you know what? Yeah, let's roll. Let's go. Let's go. Clodo, yeah. Clodo's top five is oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's roll. Let's roll. Yes. Oh my gosh. So hi, my name is Claude Barris for Don, and um, thanks to Jeremiah and Gabriel on the Sugar and Dread podcast for inviting us to contribute to one of their top five. And we have chosen the top five fairy tales. I am accompanied by four other people who uh, regard themselves as sort of authorities on fairy tales. So I'll let them introduce themselves now. Hi, I'm Emily Dunn and I'm 12 years old. Hi, I'm William Dunn and I'm nine years old. Hi, I'm Charlotte Dunn and I'm nine years old. Hi, I'm John and I'm 15 years old. And you're being made to talk about fairy tales. Sorry, John. <laughs> um, so we're going to start with uh, number five. We sort of discussed what fairy tales uh, we might talk about. And everybody has chosen their own fairy tale, but we don't know why they like it. So we're going to start with you, William. What have you chosen? I chose James and oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Little Red. No. no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Go again, um, go again. Uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> right, you were really confused. I thought it was very funny that he traded a cow for some beans. He He's a gambler, basically. <laughs> Which, <laughs> he's a little, <laughs> he's a little gambler. That's true, yeah, yeah. I see. And uh, his mother gave out them, obviously. And threw the beans out the window. How many beans did he get? I don't know. I think like five or six. And the next day it grew eye. And one day he climbed up it. He saw a castle. The giant's castle to be precise. And he went in there. And the favourite phrase that I liked is Fee fi fo fum, I smell the blood of an English man. And that's why I liked it so you much. You know that was in a Shakespeare play Weird. too, William. Yeah, I know. Do you know that? Fee yeah. fi fo fum, yeah. I it, smell the blood of a British man. A British man, yeah. It was in one wheat fix ad. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. I, I only, I only I know that saying because it was on the wheat fix And what happened? I can't really remember. So did he steal stuff from the giant's house? And or he stole, like, eggs. Oh, oh a goose that laid eggs. And yeah, the golden eggs. Yeah, and and yeah, that's 
Oh, and in the end, they chopped down the beanstalk. Oh, yeah. And one last thing. I thought it was really funny. Um, Something about I'll grind your bones to make my bread. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He threatened Jack. It was very frightening, actually. And I loved the story. I loved the way the beanstalk looks. OK, so that's in a number five. Number four. Who do we have with number four? Oh, it's me. Is it? No. Yeah. Yeah, no. It's oh, it's me. It's Okay, so my choice was Rumpelstiltskin. I almost chose the princess and the pea, but I chose Rumpelstiltskin because when I was a child, Rumpelstiltskin, we had a little cardboard covered ladybird book and Rumpelstiltskin was the most evil looking little imp sort of fairy on the front of it. And he just kind of made this indelible impression on my mind. So it, it actually, the story sort of, I, I couldn't really remember the story but I was I, I looked it up and it was it was a really frightening story because it began with somebody's father bragging about them being able to do something they weren't able to do. And um, then he just got himself into awful trouble. And it was just by the skin of her teeth that the the queen found out Rumpelstiltskin's name. And there was just so much. I don't know. There are so many lessons in Rumpelstiltskin. People shouldn't brag. You really wonder why the girl who was involved in Rumpelstiltskin, who eventually, who almost promised her firstborn to Rumpelstiltskin, why she took so much, I don't know, hardship from, you know, sort of criticism from the king. But anyway, that Rumpelstiltskin, I think it deserves to be as, um, it deserves to be number four. Number three. Uh, I picked. So this little- is John. Hi, I'm John. I picked Little Red Riding Hood for number three because it's it's a story that's been changed a lot and and moved around to to fish society like nowadays. But the the story of it like really is about you you shouldn't say the the wolf is someone who's asking you a load about yourself and you shouldn't tell them what what you're actually about to do. Because Little Red Riding Hood was just minding her own business and this wolf kept harassing her. She... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah he, 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 he was just like... He, he was harassing her on her way through the woods. And she goes, oh, I'm going to see my grandmother with a basket of whatever because she was sick. And the, the wolf went to her house and in one of the... Ver- like, <laughs> one of the stories about it... Uh, he he ate he ate the grandmother, and when and pretended to be the grandmother so the wolf could then eat Little Red Riding Hood. But thankfully, in the end, the hunter comes on, and kills the wolf, and it's it, it's all good then. But okay. that that that's that's my fairy tale anyway. Perfect, John. Perfect. Um, and we're at number two. Two. Thank you, John. Okay, I'm number two. Um. I picked Beauty and the Beast because um, the way that she tries to go and save her father when her father goes out on a horse um, to the Beast's castle and then gets captured because she, he goes to get a rose for her. And then she goes to save her father. And I like my father so much and I just kind of replicate myself as her sometimes. And the way that the cups and saucers can... Um, can talk it's like when you drop a mug or a glass and break it you kind of cry and well I do (laughs) because I get a shock and it's just um kind of it kind of represents that everything has feelings even though not everything has feelings but that kind of brings it to life so that's why I think it should come in at number two okay Emily excellent so that's Beauty and the Beast at number two and finally at number one so um, Charlotte you're number one Um, I picked Rapunzel because this this year has been very different to other years and um, this year especially like you've been you've been trapped in a tower. It felt yeah, like you've been true. trapped in a tower for ages. You weren't allowed to go anywhere. Um and also all the people needed haircuts. And um oh, if yeah. you if you look up there on on Google in the in the animated one Tangled, it's Oh yeah, it's that's the Disney based, version yeah, of the D- Rapunzel. Disney version of Rapunzel, it's actually based in Corona. No way. Yeah. 
No way, is it? Yeah, it's amazing. So Rapunzel with really long hair. Yeah, it reminds me of this year because everybody needs of coronavirus quarantine and no one is allowed to leave wow. the house. Well, that is a really, really good way to end oh, this bust. top five. So in number five, we had Our Jack and the Beanstalk. Mentions. Yeah, honourable mentions. We won't even go into those, William. I think we're running out of okay. time. Four, we had um, Rumpelstiltskin. Three, we had Little Red, Red Riding Hood. Two, Beauty, Beauty and, the and the Beast. And one, Rapunzel. Rapunzel. So we'll just have a collective thank you. Well, um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Thank you. And happy, happy, happy Christmas. Easter. Bye bye. That might just be my favorite top five ever, ever of all time. Fam, fam, I, oh. I was. Do you know how many times I was just in tears <laughs> listening? <to it? laughs> Oh, when um I think when it was William when he started and he was like he's a little gambler I was like what I was like yeah Jack and the Beanstalk Jack was really out here he was like yeah I'm gonna gamble my whole he was like right my I didn't even dip it Mum was a gambler out here I was like yo I was like yo William William is seeing he's seeing between the lines he's, he's really seeing I'm the truth. Thinking. Oh my god! Uh, because he did the equivalent of like basically gamble away his his whole family's man. life savings. Man, it was mad. It was mad. And then oh, Emily, Emily, um, Emily's yeah. as well was was really. I was like, oh, this is when she was talking about her dad, and then yeah. when she was talking about the plates and stuff, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> things have feelings too. Um, and then obviously Charlotte's bit in facts, um, yeah. the stuff about um like corona and and all of that kind of stuff and i was like yeah right yeah i was because when i first saw that i was like this must just be some conspiracist twitter thing and then i was like oh no it's yeah 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 Um, like going into like thesis level analysis of of these of these fairy tales (laughs) um and shout out shout out john for being (laughs) for being So just being yourself. That's it. So just being yourself. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. Man. Little Red Riding Hood is a story about why you should not talk to people. <laughs> you know what? It's a mood though. I, I'm here for this agenda. Yeah. I am here for this agenda. I'm going to run this agenda. In fact, I will run this agenda. That's um, it. Uh, that, was, that was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. Um, <laughs> now it is time to get into um, some poems mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, first up we're going to have Ron our yeah. um, A Villanueva and so yeah just what tell us a little bit about Ron um, not not his accolades but just just small small about why we chose Ron yeah. for 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 this episode yeah i mean man i think ron ron is probably one of one of the loveliest people um i think i think we've met on on in this whole poetry journey uh so he's yeah yeah um so just for context for context um he's he's known he's known everywhere as Ari Villanueva but um obviously we call him we call him Ron affectionately because first of all that's his name but secondly (laughs) (laughs) but secondly he's like I think yeah for for all the time that he's that he spent with us here in London I think he's really he's really kind of cemented himself in the community and in our hearts he's one of the most giving people that you will ever that you will ever meet um he's he's just the best vibes and on top of that he is so because I went to go and look for his bio and he's so humble He's clean-hearted and he's mm. he's good vibes, man. And I think that's that's just the easiest way to sum it up. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember when I went to to New York the first time, um, and just just got to spend time with him and and yeah, and just the effort he made and just like showing us stuff and 
I, yeah, I had just taken taken us to events and and just looking out for man. Mm. Um, and it's just it's just it's just good vibes, man. Um, yeah. So yeah, so let's let's get into into some poems, and mm-hmm. we're gonna kick it off with uh, R. A. Villanueva reading one of his own poems. Yes. So this is a poem called Namesake that is for, it's dedicated to, and is uh, inspired by Jacob Sam Rose, the poet and teacher and brilliant friend who in so, so, so many ways is the, is the, is the heart and force behind London becoming a home for me and my family. And uh, this poem was written as part of a celebration of Jacob and his life and his work a couple of years ago. And I'm choosing it to read now, if only because it helps me uh, hold close the fact that the things that we write will always be a way to connect with the people that we care about, that we miss, and that make us who we are. Namesake for Jacob Samuel Rose. By daybreak, the two had been locked together for hours on the riverbank among reeds and moss flowers, struggling, some translations say, or grappling. Knuckles braided, wrists bruised, their bodies become a dovetail joint where a windpipe might disappear in the glow and salt of a bicep. Chokehold, half Nelson, laughter and necks, shake and parry. Imagine the funk and rumble of their waltz. That Jacob versus his God, or versus the face of his God. Or that Jacob, folding into a stranger's outstretched wings, the story as ever, ending in blessings, and one hip pulled clean from its socket. Such is the algebra of certain parables that we can cast other rivals for the fray. This Jacob fighting his faith, or yes, wrestling the specters of fatherhood. This Jacob and the flare of Peckham street lamps, staring down train tables and yet another sunrise just north of home. Jacob chasing invoices from the queen, or bike thieves making off with new wheels. This Jacob's flex against the bindings of language, of acronyms, of history, of how boys too often worship fists instead of syllables, or the weight of a lover's heart in their hands. In Gauguin's vision after the sermon, perhaps what matters most isn't the soft knot of blue in the upper reaches of the canvas, or the staggering radiance of the field where Jacob and what we take to be an angel sees each other, but a gathered congregation. Their faces lit by what promises to cleave Jacob open, but never does. Their eyes shut, humbled by calamity and its tenderness, sure now that they know devotion what it means to praise, to love, to survive love, and the divine. Uh, Yeah, proper, I love that poem. I remember, I remember the appreciation. Even then we did for, wow, I'm proper just, you know when you start talking, you're like, I'm, 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 you're in the zone, you're in, you're talking in the mood of the poem that you've just read because it's just, it's taken you there. Um, mm. But yeah, I remember, I remember first hearing that poem and then seeing it published. I can't remember where it was published, but then think, seeing it published. Was it, it the published, Rialto that you, that you saw it in? Maybe. I think it was the Rialto. And then yeah. like seeing it there and I was like, this is just beautiful, man. Just mm. like beautiful. Um, <clears throat> cool. And so next up will be a poem from Clodagh. Yes. Um. Can I talk about Clodagh? Go, go. Yes, yes. By all, by all means, go. Um, I like for me. Um, the reason. Well, 
the reason we, we've got Clodagh on the Christmas um, Eve episode is because she was like, my poem's about, it's Christmas Eve e-poem. And I was like, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think what I, I just love, um, Clodagh makes me really just appreciate and value this podcast. Absolutely. Um, because we read random people's, well, we read poets' poems and it's not like sometimes we know the poets, but loads of the times we're just like wow we've seen people's work we're impacted mm. by people's work we love it um and Clodagh's poem was one of those poems where it was just like raw this is sick and we just spoke about it and then we tagged them like we tagged these poets um when we put it up online and mm-hmm. um just Clodagh's response to having us read her poem um and just her um yeah her engagement with us her gratitude to us um for reading the poem just the joy um and and the kindness and um her yeah her her vibes and her 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 willingness to be like yeah I want to do this as well I've never met you people but you guys um treated my poem well and because Mm. of that and then finding out that she listens to the podcast with her family and yeah. now her family are on the podcast. And it's just, <laughs> I think it's, it's just, it makes me um, really thankful that we even do the podcast to be able to yeah. like um, read people's poems, but then for them to give us the privilege of, um, yeah, of, of having more um, mm. than just their just just the poem that we got to read, yeah. um, and so with that we now are able to introduce Clodagh reading one of her own poems. Mm-hmm. Ruminant. What happens to a heart after death? It pounds around the rib cage, at last leaps through the sternum, into the menacing wood grows a coat of fur, thickening around the neck, becomes crepuscular, cannot bear to be seen. Crewmans beneath its beautiful eyes secrete waxy tears, its four-chambered stomach barely taking in sustenance. From spring on, its antlers grow an inch each day, velvety at first as they emerge but hardening to woody bone for the anger of the autumn rush. At times, the stag tips back his majestic crown. A Christ with hands nailed up, he bellows to the heavens, then sheds his antlers and begins again and again. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I was like, rah, rah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes. Yeah, okay, oh cool. gosh, yeah. It's Let's like, keep we, moving. Yeah, like, what, so when we, when we get these recordings through, we always listen to them, like, independently. And then, you know, obviously, Jeremiah listens to them when he's kind of, like, uh, round, rounding them out, ready for, ready for the episode. But, like... The fact that we had that reaction after having heard this poem each at least what yeah. three times before was man. <laughs> um, oh boy. Yeah. Uh cool. So so now we're gonna get into our poets um reading poems from other people. Uh-huh. And cool. So let's let's give them a hit of the bios, man. So we're starting Ooh. with starting with Ron. Give them give them a little give them a little something something from the bios. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So as I as I mentioned, uh, Ron has got kind of his his he's got kind of single sentence bios in in various places. Thankfully, <laughs> His 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 humility couldn't hide his accolades from us for much longer because I managed to, <laughs> because I, I managed to construct accolades to be humble, bro. That's it. I've, boy, listen, listen. You have to you have to gas your people in it. So you know, I've 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 assembled I've assembled a a pretty hefty bio from his accolades that I've seen online. So. And this is only a smidgen, right? R.A. Villanueva is the author of Reliquaria, um, which was published by the University of Nebraska Press in 2014, which was the winner of the Prairie Schooner Book Prize in Poetry. 
He's the founding editor of Tongue, a journal of writing and art, which is a literary project dedicated to challenging borders and expanding the notions of form and translation. He is also the winner of the inaugural Ninth Letter Literary Award for Poetry. Um, his poems Anus Mirabilis, uh, When Doves and Archipelagic have been published by the, uh, by the Academy of American Poets. Um, his writing appears or is forthcoming in Plowshares and uh, Ambit, The Poetry Review, Poetry, The Rumpus, The Rialto, Guernica, The American Poetry Review, Crack Pit, The Wolf, Crazy Horse, Five Points, The Common, The Margins, Visual Verse, and Wilderness. Um, yeah, there are so more. And he's he's got interviews with Kaveh Akbar, with, uh, with Mary Jean Chan, with Kyo Chingonyi. Um, rolling with the bin, big guns, honestly. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, he was born in New Jersey and he currently lives in Brooklyn, New York uh, with his with his wife and two kids. Um, in Brooklyn, stand up. That's, I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to crop that. I don't know why I did that. I apologize, Ron. Um, oh, dear. <laughs> let's get into the poem. Yes, yes. <laughs> I cannot, of course, speak for anybody else, but I know that for me there are poems and songs that are on repeat, whether that's on playlists or um, printed out and kept inside notebooks or just looping in my skull. And this poem by Soma Sharif is one of those compass points for me. It helps orient and in some ways configure my breathing, uh, my writing, my um, sense of place in the world. Desired Appreciation by Soma Sharif. Until now, now that I've reached my 30s, all my muse's poetry has been harmless, American and diplomatic. A learned helplessness is what psychologists call it, my docile, desired state. I've been largely well-behaved and gracious. I've learned the doctors learned of learned helplessness by shocking dogs. Eventually, we things give up. Am I grateful to be here? Someone eventually asks if I love this country. In between the helplessness, the agents, the nation must administer a bit of hope, must meet basic dietary needs. Ensure by tube, by nose, by throat, by other orifice. Must fist bump a janitor. Must muss up some kid's hair and let him loose around the Oval Office. Click, click could be cameras or the teeth of handcuffs closing to fix the arms overhead. There must be a doctor on hand to ensure the shoulders do not dislocate. And there must be princes raspberry beret click click could be morse code tapped out against the coffin wall to the neighboring coffin outside my window the snow lights cobalt for a bit at dusk and i'm surprised every second of it i had never seen the country like this somehow i can't say yes this is a beautiful country I have not cast my eyes over it before. That is, in this direction, is how John Brown put it when he looked out from the scaffold. I feel like I must muzzle myself, I told my psychiatrist. So you feel dangerous, she said. Yes. So you feel like a threat. Yes. Why was I so surprised to hear it? You know, one of one of the things I love about this is hearing hearing um our poets just read and talk about their favorite poems. Um yeah, it's 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 great. It's great. Um that one's yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, so what wait, wait yeah, I feel like you were gonna say something. No, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> <all> right, okay. <laughs> Um and next up we've well, we've got Claude. So okay, so for context, when I said that she had a Christmas 
Eve poem um, mm. or a poem around that subject. It was not her last poem. <laughs> so so <laughs> when it started, I was like, I hope. I was like, ah, oh, maybe, maybe I should have, maybe I should have clarified. There was this poem. There's yes. the uh, <laughs> the Christmas Eve poem. Um, but yeah, give us a little bit. Um, give us, give us, give us some of the bio, Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So, Clodagh Beresford Dunn's poems have been published and are upcoming in Ireland, the UK, and the USA, including. Poetry Island Review, uh, The Irish Times, Poetry, that's poetry in all caps, um, and Poetry London, right? Her poem, Seven Sugar Cubes, was voted uh, Listowel's, I might have have butchered that name, so apologies, uh, Listowel Writers uh, Week Irish Poem of the Year at the 2017 Irish Book Awards. Uh, She was chosen by Edna O'Brien as the recipient of the 2019 UK Clarissa Lord uh, Emerging Writer Award. Uh, she is also the recipient of the Arts Council of Ireland Emerging Writer Bursary. Um, yeah, he's also a qualified lawyer and lives in the harbour town of Dungarvan County, um, Waterford. I think the co is county. I, I don't know. Is, is it county? Raw. Uh, this this is too, too much time too much time at Waterford with her husband and four children um and she, the four children whom who you heard just now on the podcast um yes uh yeah shout 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 out the children um yeah and she is currently assembling the manuscripts for her first full collection um I know for a fact that I'm going to be getting it um so yeah listeners grab well, soon as soon as you hear word that that's a thing purchase it because you've heard her poems on two episodes of the podcast now so you know it's going to be fire um yeah unless you've got anything to say oh let's Let's roll the tape yeah let's go after singing midnight mass by tess barry the rest have gone ahead old enough now to walk the distance alone in these short hours snow has fallen Just a dusting marks the streets. Cold air breathes all around. Here now. Wreathed doors beckon. Turning the corner to North Avenue, the moon follows. White against the clear blue night. Up and down the sleeping mile, choir voices echo still. The loft's round staircase, filled with joyful noise, silent now. Our conductor's wand waving, his final smile humming on. Already Christmas morning, the paved road ends, rough surface comes. Ground known so well, almost there now. Quiet woods to one side. The tree trimmed before a church glows in the window. Skating down the stone steps, one by one. Gliding on, hands gloved, still warm. Sound and light within. That was After Singing Midnight Mass by Tess Barry. And it was first published by Manchester Metropolitan University, by the Manchester Writing School there in 2015 as part of their shortlist poems for the Manchester Poetry Prize that year. So it's available in their archives there if anybody would like to see it in print. And it really is worth uh, seeing on the page because architecturally it's a beautifully composed poem um, and I'll talk about that in a moment but first of all I want to say that the reason um, I chose this poem was because Jeremiah and Gabriel asked me to pick a poem that I absolutely love um, and you know it's Christmas time so this is possibly one of my favourite Christmas poems of all time. I think the reason for that is that it's distinctly personal, yet it's a universal poem. It gets purchased on this quietness and stillness and peace of Christmas Eve. 
that's so, so perfect. And in a way, I suppose, as an Irish person, you know, we're not really used to snow on Christmas Eve. It's it's from a Hallmark card for us. And yet this poem allows me into it because there's reference to um, a, a, a very, very common memory for um, Irish people of Midnight Mass. And um, it was something that it, it, it's something that it actually isn't done a lot anymore in, in Ireland. But um, Midnight Mass, that 12 o'clock mass, which was completely surreal. My memories of it as a child were um, of, you know, stay, having to stay up much longer than you were normally expected to. And then attending this mass service um, and the walk home or the walk back to your car um, that was so quiet. And um, again, at a time when everybody should have been in bed. And of course, the magic, um, the, that magical memory of um, childhood is it's very present in this poem. And as much as there's a mutedness and a hushfulness in the poem, there's also something else that I think a lot of Christmas poems don't really capture and that's the loneliness of Christmas Eve. I mean, I always think it's quite funny that we're told from a commercial point of view um, Christmas should be this time of great connection and great abundance and joy. Whereas the reality is that Christmas is one of those times more so than any other time in the year where our losses and our absences are absolutely magnified and placed right in front of us because we're not working and we're not doing the normal things that we do throughout the year. And we're sort of sitting with ourselves, remembering that we don't have people around us um, anymore that we perhaps used to or realising that we're separated. And especially this year um, in such a strange time with a pandemic um, that we're we're separated from loved ones. So I, I think that's kind of why I another reason that I like this poem so much um, the, the poet does this really well in uh, making reference to things like, you know, walking the distance alone. Um, she makes reference very regularly throughout the poem to the cold air breathing all around the the dusting of snow marking the streets, the, the sleeping mile. Um, and then dead in the centre of the poem, which would be um, sort of like five stanzas in, there's this wonderful line called the lofts round staircase. And that's how it that that's how it reads. Um, and it's filled with joyful noise. And for me, that's this um, the mention of that uh, spiral staircase is this labyrinthine return to the singing, to the memory, to the closeness that we might have experienced as children. And that's when the poem gains this warm, warm energy that it carries through to the final line. And it's a poem of great hope for that reason. It speaks of joyful noise and the conductor's wand waving. And, and there's just this magic and mystery um, that the poet sort of creates for us in this poem from that point onwards. Um, and even though she refers to things like the rough surface coming and the the ground known so well, she's almost uh, she's almost home. Um, and I just think it's it's fantastic. And as many Americanisms as there are in there, like after singing Midnight Mass and the trees being trimmed, um, you know, the, the use of the English language like you, you mightn't find at this side of the world. We 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 understand it so perfectly. So for me, it's um just probably my favorite Christmas poem. And um, I I just think it's it's really wonderful and I think everybody should read it. And um, thank you very much. I loved I love the way she spoke about that poem. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think I think that was that was so right for 
yeah well yeah that was just so right for i feel like personally for for mm. me and the times and the vibes and everything that's kind yeah. of going on right now so um yeah thank you thank you very much cloda mm-hmm. and that is the podcast yeah um, we had special guests for you r.a villanueva and cloda mm-hmm. beresford done um Mm-hmm. But they didn't, they did well. Well, Clodo didn't come alone. Um, That's big, it. big shout out to Emily, William, John, and Charlotte as mm-hmm. well, um, for featuring, um, yeah. and giving us, giving us, giving us the rules about fairy tales, man. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what, what other poems did they read? Who else, who else featured on the podcast via them, Gabriel? So, um, yeah, so R.A. Villanueva read Namesake for Jacob Samler Rose. Shout out, Jacob, if you are listening. Uh, yeah. And Cloda um, Beresford Dunn read Ruminant. Um, she also read Tess Barry's After Singing Midnight's Mass. And Ron read Soma's Sharif's uh, Desired Appreciation. Um, yeah. Yeah, yo, 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 yo. Um, the music that you're listening to in the background is by Gabriel P. Jones. Yeah. Um, follow us on Twitter at Sugar and Red. Follow us. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The winter season is still not over. It's still not over. Um, so we will be coming back with a another another episode filled with guests for you. Um, and in the meantime, what we want to say is uh have a have a merry christmas um yeah we're very aware that because of because of because of the the, the 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 pandemic and all of that that christmas yeah. is going to be different for a lot of people this year um but yeah we're sending out love we're sending out good vibes and um yeah man our voices will be accompanying accompanying you over this season so um we're here for you we got you we got you we got you um, yeah. They can't. They can't cancel love in it. So we're here. We're here.